This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, one of the things that we uh, want to be committed to in Jubilee is training and uh, encouraging uh, people in the gifts that God is giving them and uh, releasing new ministry. And every now and then we have a new preacher's Sunday. And uh, oh, I've got a bit of a whoop there. yeah. And uh, it, it does what it says on the tin, basically. It's new preachers. And uh, so we have two this morning for you. So that's, that's good, isn't it? It's like two for the price of one this morning. Uh, and so Rich and uh, David are going to bring God's word to us this morning. Uh, so I said I'd read the passage and kick us off. So if you want to turn to Philippians chapter 1 in your Bible, just kidding guys, it's Philippians 2. They were nervous then. <laughs> Philippians 2. I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> Again. Uh, <laughs> so Philippians 2. And uh, just before we read it, I want to encourage us to receive them well this morning. Okay, so uh, I want us to have open hearts to hear what God has for us. This is not just an exercise for them. This is them bringing God's word to us. And God's word doesn't change. So I want us to have open hearts to receive them. Let's receive them really well. And let's receive what God has for us this morning as well. Isn't it good that what God thinks of them doesn't depend on their performance this morning? Because God thinks they're great anyway. You know what? So do we. So I want us to give them a round of applause now. Can we do that? Okay. Because you're going to love them and receive them. And I think they're going to do well. But it doesn't matter because God loves them anyway. I want us to receive them well and have hearts to hear what God has for us. Okay, so Philippians chapter 2. And uh, we're going to read the first 11 verses. And then I think, Rich, you're up first, aren't you? And uh, he's going to do the first part. And then David's going to do the second part. Okay. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your words. We thank you uh, for Scripture, Lord. Thank you that it leads us to you. Thank you that it is your word to us. And uh, we pray now we would have hearts to hear what you have for us this morning. We pray for our friends, for Rich and for David as they bring your word to us. 
God, we pray for your anointing upon them to speak. And we pray for your help of the Spirit for our hearts to hear what you have for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. <laughs> okay, um, I'll just pray that, Lord, you use my words to bring your message, to um, speak your words of truth, that you open people's hearts to receive and hear the words you're wanting them to do, and that I do that well this morning. Um, so, Paul is writing a letter um, to the, the church in Philippi, to the Philippians. Um, Paul's currently in custody. Um, it's stating that he's, in, he's writing from being in chains. And he's writing um, the letter to the church in Philippi. Um, the letter's quite different to the other letters he writes um, to like the churches in Corinth because the church isn't facing major issues. Um, but Paul needs to and wants to address the church. Paul's pretty confident that the church have got things right that they have a clear understanding of the Trinity relationship and that they receive salvation through Jesus Christ. The church is um, supportive of Paul's ministry and they're the only church that actually give financial aid and support to Paul. So Paul's writing to a church that he's planted, um, which are on the right path, giving financially and have a good relationship with I believe Paul would have considered many within the church to have been friends um, and he's writing his letter to them in this context. Okay, so I feel in this, in this setting that Paul could be writing quite accurately and relevantly to most um, modern day churches today. He's writing to the church to encourage, to bless, to support and stir the church in the right direction to gain... Um, a closer relationship with Christ, and so the church ultimately has greater bearing of fruit. The Philippi church was on a major trade route, um, so Paul could get regular updates on how his friends, how the church that he planted was getting on. Paul had caught wind, he'd heard about um, a few areas of concern that were creeping into the church, um, very different to the major issues in the Church of Corinth. There was no false teaching or practice or doctrine going on, um, but the type of issues that would face many churches today. Paul had found out that there was perhaps issues of some pride, position-seeking within the church, um, and particularly there were um, two women within the church that um, were causing some issues, a lady called Odia and Sintechi. And their falling out was causing some division. Odia and Sintechi's problems with each other were beginning to have a significant effect um, on the church. Now, whether that was a clash of character, different interpretations of scripture, fighting for position or friends, uh, whatever it was, it was causing issues. Odia and Sintechi are often described um, with a play on words as being odious and soon touchy. And we can all relate to people who we know or who are perhaps a little bit odious or too touchy. Um, 
<laughs> the relationship, though, is obviously causing um, some division or disunity within the church, um, and Paul wants to address these issues directly in his letter. I think like Paul, I don't want to focus on the individual issues of these people, whether they were right or whether they were wrong. Um, I don't think that's the, the point of Paul's message, and it's certainly not the cause of division. I think as we're going to grow as a church, we should welcome um, people's difficulties, their problems, and hopefully as we grow, we're going to find more people with difficult characters um, that we can stand um, with and that the calling for the church is actually to stand um, against normal society, but to show God's love in the way that we love each other and the way we operate together. Um, I feel it's right to warn people against thinking, if only they were more holy, or if only they changed their character, then perhaps I could like them more, or perhaps I could get on with them. Um, I think perhaps that may highlight uh, a change of heart is required in the thinker. The focus needs to be on what Paul is saying um, in chapter, at the start of chapter 2, and he makes four very um, bold statements that he knows the answer to. He's not posing a question. He's not being rhetorical. Uh, he is being rhetorical, sorry. He could have quite easily written, I know you have received salvation in Christ. I know you have received love from the Father. And I know you have received from the Holy Spirit and your hearts have become softer and more compassionate. These statements are true of anybody who has received Christ. Paul goes on in verse 2 and calls the church to be united, to be like-minded, have the same love, to be one in spirit and mind. In some translations it says to have fellowship with the Spirit. And in Philippians, it, it, it often refers to having fellowship with each other. The word fellowship is translated from the word koinonia. We would often describe fellowship as um, how, when, we, when we meet together or perhaps share food or come together in prayer or worship, we would describe that as fellowshipping together. But the word koinonia in its meaning is much, much deeper than that. Okay, it's sometimes used to describe the word, describe relationship between business partners. But in the New Testament time, it's even deeper still. It goes to describe the relationship or the bloodshed between two, uh, between Siamese twins. That they are body, two body, two people, but sharing one blood. That what happens to one of the twins significantly affects the other. If one dies, then so will the other. That what happens to one is, is true of the other. I believe Paul is speaking about this type of relationship and God is seeking, that God is seeking to have with us, but is also wanting for us to have with each other. He's seeking for us to have fellowship, koinonia, with each other. Now, the enemy wants us to have, be in disunity, because it's easy to defeat a force that is not united or unified. The tools of the enemy are to spread doubt, gossip, fight for position, um, to feel bitterness, to undermine leadership, or not to be submissive. This combines with maybe some hardness of heart, pride, selfishness, 
ambition, um, and very quickly division can creep into a fellowship. It can affect each other and people can get hurt. Um, the lost perhaps don't get saved. Lives, Our lives don't glorify the Lord and the church can become ineffective. Paul speaks corporately to the church when he asks, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love and being one in spirit and one mind. I feel the, the call for the church um, is to be united because it stands against the world and the world's ideals. It sets us apart from the world and the usual dog-eat-dog backbiting that is experienced um, within the world. If the people are united, then they are strong and they're not easily divided or infiltrated. I believe unity is the hallmark of quality for anyone in the church that is looking in onto us to see. As unity represents the gospel message and demonstrates the relationship between Christ and a body, working together to glorify the Lord. So this is sort of my, my buzz phrase for the day. Okay, it's a corporate message with individual responsibilities. So Paul is clear on how as an individual we can achieve this. In verse 3 he says, nothing, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility value others above yourselves. Don't look to your own interests but the interests of others. I think it's important to say this is not instructing us to be weak. This is not instructing us to be feeble. This is not instructing us just to accept anything. There is clear teaching on how appropriately we can address problems um, that we have with other people or issues within the church. But what it is saying is that we as Christians need to have a clear, humble measure of ourselves and to promote others before ourselves. This is a message that is promoting us to love each other to meet the needs of each other and celebrate other people's successes and promotions. If you want further instruction on, on, on how to, to get some of that in your own life, I've not got time to go into now, but Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 are good chapters to get into on, how to, on instructions on your life, how to be. But this is a calling for the church to be strong and steadfast as one united body. That is not individuals looking out for themselves, but a body of people that is looking out for each other and working together. And why are we wanting to do that? I believe it's so we can advance the kingdom, that we are unified and strong, and in a determined way, we can, we can advance the kingdom. Unity is what is the legs on what this sort of advancement is built. So with, many so with so many different people, characters, ethnic backgrounds, upbringings, different theological ideas, um, for us to find unity and agreement in all things would be extremely difficult and quite hard to find. So what's it asking us to be united on? I believe Paul is talking about standing together in the doctrinal truth of the gospel message having experienced salvation and 
experience the love of the Father and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's calling for our hearts to be changed and for this to be represented and shown through our actions to each other and to within the church and to the people outside of the church. I believe all that who know Christ, I believe we can all unite under such a banner. We can stand together in unity to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ to the lost and destitute. I believe that as we stand together and we humble ourselves before the Lord, we can ultimately look and try and model ourselves on the, on the greatest example, which was Jesus Christ, how he lived his life, how he operated. And it tells us in verse 5, um, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Okay. Unity through and with Christ, both individually and corporately, is the foundation block on what? on which this church will be able to grow to 500. I'm so excited by the, the, the messages and, the, and, and, and the, the things that people brought during worship today, because I just really feel that coming through God's, this message and what God's trying to say, particularly the, the, the ship, you know, all of these blessings, all of these things on this ship that wants to go out to all of these people. But it has to be a united crew. There can't be any mutiny on board because it won't work when you're out at sea. Paul's heart is to advance the kingdom of God, for everybody on this earth to hear the message and to experience the salvation of Jesus Christ. But his message to a good church, a church that is moving forward, that has got the right doctrine, that is understanding all the right things, his message to that church is to be united in Christ and to be united together. Maybe you don't feel unity or maybe you don't feel united with the body or with the church today. Okay, Perhaps you do not know or perhaps you haven't experienced the relationship with Jesus that I've spoken about today. And if that is the case, I pray that you allow the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. A little quote that I found which is quite nice. Um, There should be one heart, for there is one body. And that is all that I have to bring to you. Thank you very much. I don't know how I did for time. Hello. Hello. I'm just going to pray too. Um, Hopefully it will calm my nerves slightly. Um, Yeah. Lord, just thank you for what Rich has brought to us this morning about unity and being united in Christ. God, I also pray that you'd speak through uh, what you've given me this morning. Um, And I pray that it will speak into people's hearts and that they'd really hear uh, what you want to say to them today, Lord, that it wouldn't just be um, a clever idea, but it would be your ideas that I bring this morning. Um, amen. Okay, so Paul's writing uh, to the church in Philippi, and he's encouraging Christians to have the same mindset as Christ. Um, and he, exp- 
basically then goes on to explain uh, what he means by that and how we can imitate him. Um, so before the outset of the section that I've got, um, we're hitting on something that we need to seek to do, and that's to be Christ imitators. Um, we're also told that this was Jesus' mindset, um, i.e. it was a decision of will. Um, so we can make decisions every day uh, to do what's right or not, to live in hope or despair, to be humble or proud. Um, but one thing Jesus sh- chose was humility. Um, so this is Jesus, and he had every right to be, um, not to be humble. He was God. Um, this passage says that he is in very nature God. Um, he was God in and of himself. Um, but he, he didn't decide to hold on to that. He removed all that glory and became a servant to his father and also to us. This isn't fake humility. It's the real sort. Um, it's, the, it's not the kind you sort of um, say when someone gives you a compliment, the sort of showy, notice me kind. It's real humility that Jesus is showing us. It's a real submission. Um, Jesus saw his father's will and as having higher value than his own. He laid aside his majesty, um, the majesty he rightly deserved, he knew he deserved, and became a man with all our inherent frailty. How do we describe this? It's almost as though Christ robbed himself so that we could know the riches of heaven. He gave up his glory for us. God exalted Jesus, and God exalts those who are truly humble. Does this suggest God wouldn't have given Jesus the place he has had he not been humble? Jesus became the highest name because he humbled himself. This means Jesus is held in God's highest esteem. Jesus has the highest place of authority in heaven and on earth. It's the right of sonship, but it was given him because he became obedient to death. Jesus didn't grasp onto his right to Godhead, but he gave up that position. And there's a sense that this is the central aspect of the gospel. Everything hangs on this. God came alongside his creation. This is God's salvation plan. He saved his people, not by showing his glory, but by showing his humility. If God had chosen to show us his glory, his desire for justice and righteousness, we could not be friends of God. Jesus' priority was to honour his Father. He humbled himself and took on a humiliating death for the sake of those he made. He could have rightfully claimed that he was already the highest and greatest. He could have decided we were not worth the pain and the suffering, but instead he humbled himself. Because of this, he was exalted to the highest place and given the name which is above every name. If we miss this, we miss God's heartbeat and Jesus' compassion for us. He gave up everything and showed that his status... And his, uh, and his otherness. He literally took on flesh, bodily form. He limited himself to one place at one time and to only doing what he saw the Father doing. Because of this, we can be free and the way is open for us to be friends of God. What else does this passage teach us? What's the main thing? So, it, it obviously, as I've already been saying, it talks about humility. Um, God honours the humble. 
lavishly. God honours those who honour him and acknowledge his lordship, those who follow his plan even when it costs them everything. Notice though that Jesus wasn't timid. He didn't make himself inconspicuous. He knew he had authority and yet he still he was still humble before God. He challenged the status quo. He made no apology for challenging his listeners and their understanding. God honours those who would follow him no matter what, to the ends of the earth if that was God's plan. He honours those who wouldn't count death too high a cost. So how can we apply this? Do you know who you're called to be? Are you stepping out and stepping up into what God has called you to do? Are you seeking to develop those gifts? If you know what God's called you to, but you aren't stepping out and up into what God has called you to, why aren't you doing that? If you're not seeking to grow, why not? Is it because you're being timid or because you don't want to to seem full of yourself? We've already said that Jesus' humility wasn't the timid kind and neither should we use humility as an excuse not to step out. This wasn't the kind of humility we see from Jesus and it doesn't seem to be the kind that we're called to either. We're called, like Jesus, to step out into the authority God has given us and into the call that he has for our lives. Paul, who wrote this passage, elsewhere encourages us to imitate him and yet he also said that he was the least of all God's people. So even from Paul's perspective, we can still be humble and be role models for people to copy. We can be humble and seek to teach and guide one another. We can be humble and step out into the calling we've been given. Having said this though, it's important that we don't, use, don't abuse the authority God's given us. We shouldn't allow our call to give us a sense of entitlement to be obnoxious. I can't say that word, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> obnoxious or ungracious to people especially those who have leadership over us or those we are leading. We must be careful to remain humble and be willing to hear God's direction because this was key for us. What else can we see from this passage? Jesus desired his Father's will more than he desired position. Jesus knew his worth and his identity was in God and not in his position. He was secure in this and so could be humble. We find this hard. When greeting someone for the first time, what do you ask? What do you do? We're saying, justify yourself. What's your position? What is it you do and how good are you at it? We grade people internally by their answer and it shapes what we think of them, rightly or wrongly. It's almost the most natural thing we can do and we all do it. Jesus wasn't like this. Our society is full of it though, people who seek position over humility, who would rather stand on others than encouraging them to excel. We don't mind people succeeding as long as it doesn't prevent us from doing so ourselves. Jesus' attitude was different. He had position, but he didn't seek his father's. We crave this authority, but Jesus didn't. Because he was humble, This was the very thing he was given, though. In his humility, he didn't lose who he was. 
He knew who he was, and so he was secure in his identity. We must learn to be secure in our identities. When we are, it doesn't matter what we're asked to lay down or pick up because our identity isn't in what we do for God or the position we have in church or our career or in our families, but it comes from our Father and who we are in Christ. Our motivation should come from humility and following the Father's will, not from a desire for position and authority. When we get this wrong, the authority we get can be empty and unfulfilling. How can we imitate Christ then? To imitate Christ, we need to acknowledge who God is, his authority, and that he knows best and his plan is best. Every time we ignore God's will, we try to be equal with God. Every time we think we know best, we try and grasp his authority. But when we are humble, God remains in his rightful place and his blessing can be freely upon us. So, I've got a couple of questions. Do you think God has the right to ask you for your life in place of someone else's? Do you think it's worth losing your life for those who need to know his salvation, even if they don't understand that yet? Jesus did this for us. You might feel God doesn't have this right, that he asks too much, and I've also wondered if this ask is too big. But Paul in this passage is asking us to model one who is greater, Jesus, and this is the very thing he did. You can argue this commitment away by saying that Jesus died so we don't have to, yet Jesus also said, follow me. In summing up, a radical call like this requires radical obedience from all of us, myself included, and this is a radical gospel and this is one of the most radical portions. We're called to be a radical people. I think this passage should inspire us to lay down our own objectives. Sorry, lost my place. <coughs> yeah, I think this passage should inspire us to lay down our own objectives and the things we thought were important, not for the greater good, but for God's glory. I know this call, I've heard it, and it's costly every day. It's costly to lay down your own objectives. It's costly to lay down what the world sees as important. It's costly to lay down the things that we have always been taught were important to follow a different way. It will cost you everything, but no matter how much you pay, it's nothing compared to the great cost that Christ paid for us. If Christ counts the Father worthy of such devotion and trust, shouldn't we also? If Christ has paid the ultimate price for me, what cost is too great? I've got three or four things, ways that we could respond. The first thing is to respond to what Jesus did for us in terms of coming and dying for us, in terms of showing us um, who God is. Um, the second thing is for a call for a radical commitment. Jesus made a radical commitment to us um, and we need to be a radical people. Um, another thing is, do you know who you, who you are? Do you know your identity? Because when you know your identity, you can be secure in it and then you can be radically humble like Jesus. Um, and do you know what your calling is? Do you know what you're called to be? Um, 
Being willing to follow God's way is a decision and a choice we make multiple times every day. And it was a choice that Jesus made. I was so struck by the song we sang earlier, uh, once again. uh, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And that's what Jesus' love is. Wow, wonderful, both of you, fantastic. You live and breathe that, that's quite obvious, you're not just reading that off a piece of paper, that was absolutely superb. Great context, uh, some fantastic truths in the middle of it, of God's word, and the things I love about both of those were actually there's a challenge for all of us here, isn't there? There was a, an application for our lives about God, you know, which you know, pins you to the seat and you can't walk out here thinking, where am I in that? You know, those fantastic questions. So. Thank you so much for the effort you put in there. And I realised, you know, even getting up here and standing up here is the end of a long journey for both of you. So well done. Came across so very well. Thank you very much. So that's it today. We're, we're pretty much wrapping it up. Um, there's more donuts than normal because there's less of us. So that's, that's a great piece of news, isn't it? Easy to, easy. Yeah, form a nice queue at the door. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, stay around for some tea and some coffee. It'd be great to get, just catch up. There's less of us so we can mill around a bit more. But uh, bless you. Next week, Easter service. So bring guests if you possibly can. Thank you for coming. Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.